the failure to act with sufficient ambition to avert the climate catastrophe will be the greatest moral failure of our time. Making changes takes courage, and if we don't change things, we won't have a future. I'm an environmentalist. A lot of people don't understand that. I think I know more about the environment than most people. You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. Change is coming, whether you like it or not. Zero Carbon East Off. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbonista Series 2, The Manifesto. I'm Ian Collins and this is a kind of special in-betweener episode. Christmas gone, the new year on the way, but of course nothing stops the biggest agenda on the planet, the environment. Our man chomping at the bit with a stash of robust views and opinion is Dale Vince, the campaigner and entrepreneur. Uh, Christmas gone, Dale. Another year of the hectic nonsense that we spoke about just a, a week or so ago is in the bag. We move on. Yeah, it's been a very different kind of Christmas, isn't it, to the usual hectic uh, environment catastrophe nonsense that you're referring to. There's been a kind of uh, very subdued Christmas, which uh, which I was quite happy for. And, um, you know, it makes a change anyway, even for people that love Christmas, it to uh, just make them appreciate the next one all the more. Yeah, I, I, you know, we often touch on capitalism and, and sort of out of control growth and that kind of thing. I mean, is this... You know, we've, we've touched on that issue many times that, you know, environmentally speaking, one of the curious kind of positive offshoots of the lockdown was that there were fewer cars on the road. And, and that has to be a good thing. Do you think that in a similar way that, you know, that the spend, spend, spend mentality of sort of Western existence might uh, curtail itself somewhat? Yeah, I'd kind of hope so, Ian, you know, <laughs> I live in hope of that, really. And, uh, you know, that's kind of part of the message uh, in, in my book, actually, you know, that uh, modern life is is killing us, you know, um, consumption is is just running away with, uh, with things and uh, causing all kinds of problems. And Christmas is kind of like peak consumption point of the year, isn't it? I mean, it's the time of year when yeah. some shops only make money, enough money to get them through the year, uh, which yeah. is a bit bit weird. But otherwise, you know, the bonfire of turkey bodies and wrapping paper and all that kind of stuff is is just a, an environment catastrophe. Well, let's look forward uh, because we are almost <laughs> in, yeah, on that point. We're heading nicely to 2021, uh, which means Veganuary is gearing up, uh, apparently for its biggest ever level of interest, uh, going vegan for a month. Yeah, uh, the guys running that are aiming for 500,000 signups this year. Uh, I think uh, four years ago, they had maybe uh, maybe a quarter of that or a third of that or something like that. So, you know, it's, it's grown really strongly in the last few years, as has veganism. I mean, it's got to be said, last two or three years has really seen the kind of meteoric rise of the plant-based or vegan diet, uh, you know, across all all parts of society, including football, of course. A guy approached me at the club last night. We had a game and he said, uh, I'm going to tell you something now you never thought you'd hear. He said, I'm going vegetarian. And I was like, well, yeah, a bit of a shock, fair play. Uh, you know, he's a guy I never thought would. But he said, I've seen a lot of animal cruelty in films about farming. And, uh, you know, I just uh, it's just too much. How was last night, by the way? Or do you not want to talk about no, it? No, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> it wasn't good. Well, it wasn't I, good but... To be honest, I'd forgotten Crawley even existed. I'm sorry to, to Crawley fans <laughs> listening to this. But, um, um, I mean, I, I thought at one point, you know, uh, there was a, a, a swift comeback in the 50th from Jake Young. And I thought, hello, uh, there's a turnaround here. But um, pesky 
name? Tom Nichols? Incredible goal from Youngy from a free kick. Oh, my God. It was like Dude. a cannon Dude. shot into the net. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the Crawley people are lovely. And they said to me before the game, look, you're our bogey club. You know, we're not expecting to get much out of this, except that uh, actually records are there to be broken, aren't they? And, uh, you know, I thought, yeah, fair play. It's true. You know, all, all runs come to an end. I think they said they'd had two points off us in six games or something. Well, they, they you know, they turned that around last night. And, and fair play to them. I didn't think we played that well. I thought they played really well. Um, I thought they were a really good team. So I thought they deserved it. You're very generous, Dale. I mean, you could have just you know, really <laughs> let off some steam on them there. But uh, That's um, my steam, that is, right there. That is, that is that is the Dale Vince steam in action. Let's just go back to a question about Veganuary, because this comes from Liz on Twitter. who says, have you got any tips? And that's that's not a, a, you know, an unreasonable question, is it? Because there are huge questions that people have that they don't quite have when it comes to becoming a vegetarian, but the idea of going vegan throws up many more variables and issues and concerns. Yeah, it's true. It's some kind of scary frontier, isn't it? I mean, the guy I was speaking to last night, I mean, his name, name's Shane. I've known him a long time now since I've been involved with Forest Green. And uh, he said the same thing. He said, I do vegetarian, but I'm not sure I'm ready for vegan. And it is some kind of, uh, I think, imaginary kind of scary frontier for people. When... In fact, there's not that much of a difference, really. You know, it's just about giving up dairy and fish. Uh, I mean, I would say that's the difference between vegetarian and vegan. But uh, uh, advice, I would say, um, just put a bit of thought into it, really. You know, uh, there's an awful lot of stuff out there that, that's available now in, in supermarkets and even fast food joints. You know, you can buy a, a vegan snack now pretty much as easily as you can buy a non-vegan one. You know, it's just not as uh, as difficult as it as it might seem. Is what I would say. That would be my advice. It's actually quite easy. You know, just relax, do a bit of reading uh, about the kinds of foods that people that don't eat animals eat. You know, which is nuts, seeds, fruits, vegetables. You know, kind of all the obvious stuff, really. But it's not that obvious if you're used to a diet that's dominated by a piece of dead animal in the middle of your plate. Yeah, you said something a couple of weeks back that I thought was really interesting. That once you cut out the crap, it's amazing how good vegetables taste yeah it's true and actually it does broaden your horizons as well meat and dairy is a very limiting diet because it tends to dominate uh, the plate and the palate in fact and uh, when you when you move away from that you open yourself up to a kind of entirely new world of tastes and textures it's a it's an adventure i would say a great culinary adventure We've got to say hello to Connie, James, Andy, Phil, and hundreds more who got in touch sending nice comments about uh, the manifesto, your book, of course. There goes the book, people, right bang on on cue. Um, This would have pitched up in certain Christmas stockings, I'd like to think, over the last few days. Yeah, I think it it must have done. Thank you, guys, uh, you know, for for all the words. Yeah, I don't know what to say, really. Kind of waiting for it to gain some traction somewhere, you know, but that's it. You know, I guess it's because we launched it and... uh, and maybe it was a bit of an anticlimax for me after that. I'm like, guys, come on, there's a book out here. You know, why isn't everybody reading it and talking about it? You know, but, uh, maybe that'll come later. I think they probably are in increasing numbers. It's one of those things, the, the kind of legacy, I think, of you're right, the whole, the, the, the sweat and the toil of writing the book and putting it together and getting it published. And then you kind of have this moment where I think you're sort of expecting, you know, there's going to be a big band outside your house in the morning. <laughs> Everybody will be chanting sort of Monty Python style outside with you on a balcony addressing addressing the braying crowd, you know. But um, um, it, it's, clearly, it's clearly out there. And, uh, you know, it looks as if it's flying off the shelf. So good. Yeah, work, yeah, yeah, nice one. And as Will says to me, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Uh, kind of probably wise words there. Yeah, rare wise words from Will. <laughs> 
Um, this, uh, here's a story. The world's 10 costliest weather disasters of 2020 saw insured damages worth £150 billion. That tops the figure from the year before, which kind of reflects the long-term impact of global warming, according to a new report. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? I mean, climate change, the climate crisis is becoming a serious economic cost, you know, a real drag on global economies, a diversion really of money that could be spent on other things, uh, for example, avoiding the climate crisis. <laughs> but, you know, the, the penny will drop, I think, increasingly, because um, the insurance industry have been talking about this probably for a decade or two now. They've seen it coming through insurance claims a long time before, uh, you know, yeah. most people saw it. And and this is kind of, this is where it hits home, it has to be oh, said, you know. Kind of yeah. the, when, when, when big corporations and companies feel the financial impact, that's when real change starts to happen, perhaps. That's right. Money money talks uh, or or swears, as Bob Dylan would have it. Um, but uh, that's where the impact happens, when, when it actually costs money. I think, you know, we see with the virus crisis that when it costs lives, that matters as well, and that has a big impact. But the problem with the climate crisis is so very distant, and typically it's happening in a different part of the world to the West, yeah. Um, and uh, and it's easy just to push it to one side and think, well, we'll deal with that later. Whereas obviously the virus crisis was right in our faces, killing people. So we did something about it. And I just hope that we don't wait until the climate crisis is doing that before we really get to grips with it. Yeah, fair point. Uh, question from Gareth on Facebook. Why aren't we rigging up food recycling to the gas grid? What, what does he mean by that? He means uh, using um, waste food. Uh, this is, I'm guessing now, but I think he means using waste food to make green gas and stick it into the gas grid, which, you know, kind of makes sense. It's a process of uh, anaerobic digestion. Uh, you can break it down, turn it into methane. Um, and I would say the problem we have with using waste food is that it, it kind of locks in the concept of wasting food. And, and that may sound a little bit strange, but... It's a matter of kind of commerciality. If you build a, a project like, for example, to burn household rubbish, when councils build those projects, um, they, they sign 20-year uh, contracts for waste, which means they're obliged to deliver a certain tonnage of waste for 20 years. That is an absolute disincentive to reducing waste. And it's the same with food waste. If you, if you build a project to consume food waste and turn it into gas, you've got to yep. sign long-term contracts for that food waste, which means people have to carry on wasting food, which, of course, we have to stop doing. Indeed. Um, is nuclear, here's a question. Is, is nuclear fusion the answer to the climate crisis? Um, this was a headline that screamed out of uh, The Guardian um, yesterday. Promising new study suggests that long, elusive technology may be capable of producing electricity for the grid by the end of the decade. So it's got that word. It, this will take some explaining. <laughs> it's got that yeah. word nuclear in it, um, which yeah. I know is not a happy bedfellow with yourself. I know. I mean, it's fine. I'd have to say I expect better of the Guardian, rightly or wrongly. I read that article. I thought this is a puff piece for uh, the nuclear fusion lobby who haven't really done anything new. Uh, they still haven't produced a nuclear fusion reactor that makes more energy than it takes. They still haven't done that. And uh, to talk about it being the answer to the climate crisis, and we may have the first one built by 2030, is to kind of ignore the fact the urgent uh, science is telling us that we have to solve this problem by 2030, not wait and hope that nuclear fusion arrives in, in one instance by 2030, because that wouldn't be enough on its own anyway. And the guys quoted in the article from the nuclear fusion lobby, 
we're saying crazy things like, oh, the wind and the sun, you know, they can do a little bit, but there are things that can't do like power cities or industry. And for that, we've got nuclear fusion. And I thought, my God, what planet do they live on? You know, um, at this same time this week, uh, there was a report that Britain had, I think, 60% of its electricity from wind power in one whole day. That's powering more than one city and wow. more than some industry, you know, wind and sun. I think it's a kind of example of somebody, I forget who said it to me, calls a virility project. Nuclear is is exactly that kind of thing. You know, what's wrong with using the wind and the sun? They're here, they're safe, they're clean, they're free, they don't run out. Um, what are we waiting for? Why are we trying to dream up the next big high-tech, super expensive fix? Nuclear what is your... Um... But what is your reading of that? Because I, you know, I, I put this to politicians. You know, a lot of the stuff that we've talked about, I can then put back to some of those politicians about the, you know, the wind being the obvious. Well, we can, you know, power this country several times over, as you say, it's free, it's clean, and you'd have to be some kind of supercharged moron to have any disagreement with something <laughs> free and clean. I mean, who would say that's a terrible idea? And yet, you know, still at the same time, and I know we can say maybe the shortcut answer is big business. Perhaps it's that I don't know, but it does seem extraordinary that something is staring you in the face, and uh, people are still hell-bent it seems on looking for something else yeah i sometimes think that it's just too easy and actually that renewable energy just doesn't appeal to a certain mindset you know there's almost a lefty righty split i think uh, psychologically you know people that, that follow right-wing politics tend to like uh, big oil and gas nuclear that kind of uh, industrial approach and and people on the left tend to quite like the wind and the sun and that kind of almost pacifist energy approach and um you know, as you say, it's staring us in the face. Why, why, why not embrace it? The idea also, it's a myth that, that we can't power ourselves just from renewable energy. I mean, that is a pervasive myth. We absolutely can. Even the national grid says that we can. These are kind of noises off stage. The, um, the, the, the nuclear fusion lobby, they've landed a piece in the Guardian, but, you know, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, yeah. that's not going to help them sort the tech out and actually make nuclear fusion work. I just don't see it coming. Uh, and obviously we don't need it and we can't afford to wait for it anyway. So, yeah. I mean, what well, about I, that makes sense? Yeah, I think a couple of episodes ago, wasn't it, I'd interviewed the, you know, the managing director of the, um, the Acme Nuclear Company, whatever it's called. And he, <laughs> he, was, he, he was, it seemed steadfast in his belief that you need a, a hybrid of the two. So, uh, and I, as I mm. mentioned before, very complimentary about yourself and what you do but says you need something that is there almost like you know if nothing else the emergency battery uh, mm. for when the wind stops I don't know if anyone's ever told him that the wind doesn't actually fully stop yeah and you know it's exactly the same kind of argument that you get from the animal farming lobby and from people that just can't quite get their heads around the idea of not eating animals they say yeah uh, you know, plant-based living and all that is is you know it's a good thing to do, but we need a balanced diet and yeah, blah blah blah. We still need to eat some animals, which is not true. Um, but I think it's um, it's how people in denial kind of um, uh, you know just kind of deal with with the facts. Um, here's a story of, uh, talking about animals. Uh, this in this case, birds. Scientists discovered why thousands of songbirds dropped dead earlier this year. Uh, and this all feeds into the, the climate crisis. Uh, unexpected cold snaps, etc., meant that, you know, certain breeds of bird just literally fell out the sky. I mean, there was nothing, no, nothing anybody apparently could have foreseen unless they'd bothered to look, which is the usual problem. 
<laughs> yeah, I actually didn't see that story. Um, but you you reminded me of a story I I did see, um, and I forget which part of the world it was in. But these uh, these huge um, are they called mermations? I think they are of birds were. Uh, kind of uh, in synchronization, jumping on and off power lines and making them smack together and cause power cuts. Wow. <laughs> and I think it might have been Scotland, actually. And uh, it was only by accident that uh, somebody from the local grid company observed it happening. They were having this mysterious blackouts and they couldn't understand it. And he was out one evening and he saw this huge flock of birds all take off at the same time and, uh, and caused a problem. Very funny. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we are. I mean, on the on the serious side of things, we are going to be seri- seeing more of this kind of stuff. I mean, it's as if people like Attenborough, you know, been warning about this for years. Um, but this is this shouldn't be new news. No, and of course, uh, farming itself has just about uh, you know decimated uh, our wildlife here in Britain. You know, over the last fifty years, we've seen an enormous decline of all kinds of uh, in indigenous British wildlife, insects, birds, mammals, and it's because of intensive factory farming. It's the same kind of thing that's happening in the Amazon. It's just when it happens in the Amazon. We get quite precious about it, um, uh, which is quite hypocritical, given that we've destroyed our own Amazon here in Britain. And it's one of the great upsides of us all going plant based. We can free up 75 percent of British farmland, which is 50 percent of the land mass of our country. And we can give it back to nature, which is an incredible outcome. Indeed. Um, Have a quick listen to this. Are you Charles Botfler? Yeah. Who are you? Are you? Well, if I am, what are you? You're in danger, sir. Danger? What on earth are you talking about? I don't know you, do I? No, but I know you. I followed you all the way from London. Followed me? Yes. Uh, That's an excerpt from the 1956 film, uh, The Green Man, uh, which I'm not that familiar with, but apparently stars uh, George Cole, you know, him off Minder and stuff, and Terry Thomas, uh, classic classic gap-toothed British aristocratic actor. Uh, but but now uh, you take on the uh, the, the mantle uh, apparently of the name the Green Man. Rich sent this in saying, uh, "I've heard several people refer to you as the Green Man during uh, Christmas Zoom chats about your book. Uh, thought this was rather cool as a fan of the pod and Ecotricity. Happy New Year," says Rich. Well, that's fab. Um, I like that. You know, um, I'm flattered by that. So uh, maybe I'll adopt it as a handle. But thanks, Rich. Yeah, it's all right, the green man, isn't it? It's okay. I, mean, I was trying to see, That's you know, off, off, you know, when when people come up with kind of slogans and stuff, and they think they've got the really got this thing nailed, and then somebody points out that there's a, a connotation or a reason why you can't use. <laughs> um, so I don't know whether we need to have a look in that. A friend of mine was pondering why, when the when the government were, were trying to get their COVID advice out there, you know, hands, face, space. Uh, let fresh air in there must have been somebody in the room that said hands face space ventilate um and a, which makes sense of course but you can't add the word ventilate when you're talking about covid because of the connotation <laughs> of the word ventilate um so uh, yeah so with that in mind i'm going to do some research on the green man in case we discover he was a serial killer from the outback of australia years ago <laughs> i think uh, the green man actually is a big part of um, english culture i'm not sure precisely what i've got a book here somewhere on my shelf about the green man it's also the name of the okay. pub at forest green rovers funnily enough um well there you go yeah there are a few green mans around aren't there in pub yeah. terms so yeah and Nothing i think that's that. i think that's because of the uh, the, the link to uh, british culture actually 
That's where it comes from. It's worth looking up if anybody's interested. Just Google Green Man and uh, see what it's all about. Something to do with uh, fertility, I think, you know, the kind of growing seasons and that kind of stuff. Okay. Well, this is going to become a thread. I can feel it coming on future episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah we, will, uh, we will follow with interest. And, and that is it, Dale, for this episode. That's it for this year. Oh, yeah. Our next one is definitely next year. Yeah, so definitely. It's either a, probably a week on Friday or something like that. Um, have a good one, Dale, and we'll speak soon. Yeah, thanks, Ian. Have a, have a happy new year yourself and to everybody listening. You know, have a, have a great new year. Indeed. Don't forget, of course, you can subscribe to this podcast. It's absolutely free. It means you'll get each new episode automatically. Do leave a review there as well. Any questions, email them over to us either via social media or zerocarbonista at ecotricity.co.uk. And really crucial bit, make sure you follow Dale on social media, which is twitter.com slash dalevince or facebook.com slash dalevince. And we'll see you in 2021. Zero Carbon East Off.